From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Wow, I just lost my computer screen. That's not a good omen. (laughs) All right, how are you? Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, we are uh, just moments away from our dear friend, R. Gary Patterson, uh, who will join us, the Fox Mulder of rock and roll. Always look forward to a visit uh, to the Conspiracy Show from uh, from Gary. He always comes equipped with uh, amazing stories uh, from his... well. Three volumes, anyway, that he's written and, and sort of covered off this whole genre. Uh, Take a Walk on the Dark Side, uh, Hellhounds on Their Trail, and The Walrus Was Paul. And uh, really details quite nicely all of the... It's a compendium of um, strange coincidences and hoaxes and unsolved uh, murders and um, just some of the strange goings-on in rock and roll. And, of course, Gary will be joining us for an exclusive live event on Saturday, October the 15th here in Toronto at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. And I'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. Last week on the program, we had a a special tribute to the late broadcaster Errol Bruce Knapp, who was a, a fixture here on Late Night Radio in the greater Toronto area, the host of Strange Days Indeed, a past uh, not too long ago, and Victor Vigiani joined me in studio, of course, and we had a few guests on the phone to say goodbye to uh, Errol. And uh, it saddens me to announce we've, we've lost another UFO researcher, Bob Mitchell, uh, who was just on the program earlier this summer, I think in June, wasn't it, Albert, back in June, uh, just before the big UFO ET conference in Brantford. And uh, also, Bob was a regular on Coast to Coast. I interviewed him recently on Coast, and he had just published a brand-new book, along with Jason Quitt. It just came out uh, at the end of August, and Bob had sent out an email. I was on the list. He announced on August the 25th uh, that he was battling cancer and uh, passed away this week after a brief battle with a horrible, horrible disease. So uh, my prayers and sincere condolences go out to Bob's friends and his family. Eternal be his memory. All right. Albert Vinzel is uh, here, our story producer and remote viewer in training. Oh, on the other side of the glass, Will Power, young Will Power, is uh, twisting the, nile, the uh, dials and the knobs, and Ian Robertson is off tonight gigging somewhere, I'm sure. Now, Albert is running our Hangout on Air, our HOA, so if you want to stream this radio program live on YouTube, it's real simple. Just go to my Twitter feed. My Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, and go to the top of the feed or near the top, and just click on the link with the HOA in it. It's an HOA link. Just click on it, and you're in. You're watching TV on the radio, or you're watching radio on YouTube. (laughs) Presto! Wonderful. Uh, Now, I mentioned Albert our remote viewer in training, and we're going to start a new segment this week. I kind of teased it last week, but it's called What's in the Box? Now, as I mentioned, Albert is a uh, a student of remote viewing. He's uh, trying to 
fine-tune his skills. And a couple of months ago, we had the man with x-ray eyes, Douglas James Cottrell, on the program, and we did a little experiment. So I thought, why don't we try this every week or so? And uh, for those joining us on the HOA, you can see the uh, the box. I'll get a nicer box next time. I had a nice wooden cigar box already to bring with me, and I completely forgot it. But this will have to do. So, Albert, you don't have to tell me right now. Just, uh, okay, people can see the box. Let me put you on mic there, Albert. Okay, turn it, turn the camera around so people can see you as well. All right, there's Albert. Say hello. Now, just spend a few moments. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to tell me something now, or do you want me to come back to you later? Uh, I can try now. Maybe it's, it, we'll just get the guesses out of the way. But I wrote down half hour before the show: mirror, reflective, and old pair of glasses. So I don't know if I'm even close. Or <laughs> think about it some more. All right, think about all it right. some more. Albert Vinzel, our remote viewer. All right. Let's uh, get to it. As I say, I always look forward to uh, R. Gary Patterson's return to the program. He's a native Tennessean with a passion uh, for rock and roll. He's a published author with Simon & Schuster, and his works portray many fascinating fascinating events that helped shape musical history, from Robert Johnson through current groups making a place for themselves among rock and roll uh, standing legends. In 1996, he released his first book entitled The Walrus Was Paul. Immediately, the book became highly sought after. A Beetlefest catalog pro- proclaimed The Walrus Was Paul as one of its best-selling titles of the year. And uh, due to the instant success of the book, uh, Gary found himself as a highly sought-after radio personality. He appeared at, on all the syndicated Beatle radio shows, including Westwood One's The Beatle Years, ABC Radio's Beatle Archives, uh, the Breakfast with the Beatles programs from New York to L.A. And um, he has appeared on numerous national Beatle conventions, including Beatle Fests in New York, Chicago, uh, Orlando, on and on it goes. And, of course, Hellhounds on Their Trail followed that uh, success, uh, which was followed up by Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. Gary, welcome once again, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Richard? Just terrific. Thank you. And, of course, we are very, very excited. Uh, Hello. uh, uh, Yes, can you hear me? Did we lose Gary? I told you when the screen went down, uh, that was was not a good sign. Okay, uh, if you wouldn't mind, young willpower, just uh, calling Gary back. Call him back on that landline number if you can. All right. So, uh, let's go back to our remote viewer friend, Albert Finzel. Any more ideas, uh, Albert? What's in the box? Let's let people see the box again. And uh, you did not look inside the box, correct? No, no, I didn't. No. It's, yeah, it's a lot easier when Douglas is here because he can talk you through it. But it, usually you just want that relaxed state. And if you get it in the internal board, then, then you know you're 100% right. You just have a feeling of being sure. But until you're there, you're really just guessing in the beginning. All right, so you so. want to get out what they call a- a- AOL in remote viewing, the analytic overlay. Once you get get that out of the way, you can, and you're in the zone, then you can get it 100%. So did you get the analytic overlay out of the way? <laughs> I think that's what we did in the first, <laughs> in the in the opening. But I'm going to need a little bit more time still. You need more time. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because you were thinking that it might be a pair of glasses or something shiny or reflective. Can yeah. I just tell you? Will it help if I tell you that you're way off base? It's way off? It's way off base, my friend. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, we are waiting. Uh, do we have Gary back? We're still waiting to get Gary Patterson back. Uh, you're waving your hand, Will, but I don't know what that means. Do we have him? Just give me a shake or a nod. We don't have Gary back. All right. 
Uh, let me just spend a few moments then just reminding you. So again, the live event is Saturday, October the 15th. That's fast approaching. It's from 4 to 8 p.m. at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. And uh, Gary Patterson, of course, will be there. And then special Skype appearances from Peggy Sue Guerin, who was, who was, of course, the inspiration for Buddy Holly and the Crickets' two smash hits, Peggy Sue, and Peggy Sue Got Married. And also, Leo Lyons. Uh, Leo Lyons. Leo Lyons, the um, the bass player from the uh, the great band Ten Years After. Of course, they were a huge. They really stole the show at Woodstock. Leo Lyons from Ten Years After, and then Bill Harry, uh, Bill Harry, lifelong friend uh, to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. All of the Beatles attended art school with John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and uh, was the publisher of Mercy Beat magazine. So they'll all be joining us uh, by Skype. Gary Patterson live on stage again Saturday, October the fifteenth at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. And if you want uh, more information or order or to purchase tickets, just go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. That's my uh, my website. And go to the live events page. And voila, you're in. All right, we're still waiting on Gary. I'm not sure what the problem is, but uh, I'm going to come back to my remote viewer. Now I'm going to put you on the, on the spot here, Albert. I need you to try and focus. What's in the box? Let's get one more shot of the uh, the box for the people on the uh, the HOA. Uh, okay. uh, He's thinking hard, folks. He's thinking hard. Use those remote viewing skills, Albert. What's in the box? He's deep in thought. He's very deep in thought. What's coming through? Still, just give just, me impressions. Just, just, just give me impressions. Okay, let's see. Color, surface, texture. Come on now, Albert. Is it, see, I don't want to guess unless I don't have it right. And you got to go down to that sort of deep, deeper level where it's, you're in a relaxed state. I know this is not easy. Just no pressure, but there are literally dozens of people watching on YouTube. No pressure. Okay, we're going to run out of time here, Albert. I need you to come up with something. Still, it's just, just You're not getting mind. anything? No, not, not, not on this one. <laughs> All right. Do we have Gary? We have Gary. All right. Let's join Gary. We'll come back to you, Albert. Not okay. to worry. Gary Patterson, welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. For a minute, I thought I was in the box. <laughs> yes, you're in the box. Uh, you know what? Uh, this is kind of interesting. We're, we're just uh, about to come up on a break here, but let me very quickly again welcome you to the show. I just mentioned the uh, the big event uh, coming up on the uh, the 15th of October, but I wanted to start off talking to you about you know where a lot of sort of the launching pad for all of this talk about coincidences and curses and myths, and it really begins in Clarksdale, Mississippi, at the crossroads, the Devil's Crossroads. And uh, you've been down there. Uh, I have. We'll, yes, talk, I have. we'll talk about that in a moment. But isn't it interesting that that was the first thing we were going to talk about? And what happens? My computer literally went kaplooey. And then we get you on the phone, and you're knocked out as well. 
because I'm in the box. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you have had some very strange experiences uh, at the crossroads. But first, before you talk about that, just give us, we've only got about a minute here before we head into the break. Tell us about the connection uh, between the Devil's Crossroads in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and the great legendary blues man, Robert Johnson. Well, you know, when the blues really started, it was a competition between God's music and the devil's music. All right, you worked in the fields, you did awful lot of hard labor, you had a good time on Fridays and Saturday nights, and then you went to church on Sunday. So there was a rumor and a legend that a blues man, if he really wanted to be good, he could take his guitar and he could go to the crossroads and he could sit there and play his guitar at night around midnight and then finally a figure would walk up behind him. You dare not turn and look because you know who it is. It was the devil or in voodoo, Legba. And you would pass your guitar over your shoulder to this entity. You would hear him tune it to a very special tuning and when he passed it over your shoulder back to you and you accepted it, well, you'd made your deal. You would get fame, but you would have a short life. And Robert Johnson, uh, the legend has it, as we head into the break, couldn't play a lick, couldn't play a lick until he went down to the crossroads. We'll find out what happened when we are back, along with our Gary Patterson. Take a walk on the dark side right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Thanks for hanging out. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are talking about the Devil's Crossroads uh, down in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Our Gary Patterson, the Fox Mulder of Rock, is on the line. Before I get back to uh, Gary, just uh, I'm going to check in very quickly with Elbert, our remote viewer friend. What's in the box, Elbert? I'm still drawing a blank on this one. I, I don't want to guess at it unless All right. I know for sure. All right, my friend. Bottom of the hour, though. That's the deadline, okay? Get those right. remote viewing skills going. All right. So, uh, Gary, we were talking about uh, Robert Johnson. He goes down to the Devil's Crossroads in Clarksdale. Is it true that, uh, or at least this is the legend, that he couldn't play a lick one day, and then literally overnight he was like this master bluesman? Is that apocryphal, or is there some truth to that? It's actually truthful. Wow. He used to play just the harmonica, the blues harp, and he was bad on that but it was even worse on guitar and when the old delta musicians like charlie Patton, sunhouse and the others when they saw robert johnson coming carrying his guitar they would avoid him because he was so bad but he disappeared looking for his father and made his way into memphis tennessee and he was gone for maybe up to six weeks but when he returned he was incredible He could do things on the guitar that none of the other guys could do, and he claimed that he was taught to play the guitar in graveyards at night by Satan himself. So that sort of gave the mystique. Another thing about Johnson is he had a cataract in one of his eyes, and when he played the guitar, he would glance up, and when the light hit it just the right way, his eye would glow. And people were convinced it was the devil's eye. Wow. <laughs> and when it came turn to play some of his signature licks, which was the Robert Johnson turnaround that we refer to it today as guitar players, he would turn his back to the audience so they couldn't see what he was doing. And they thought it was the secret tuning that the devil had given him that night, when actually he was just turned his back so nobody could steal his licks. But, <laughs> All right. You know, 
if you got to imagine that there's somebody who'd sold his soul to the devil playing at a juke joint next to you, you would be, well, it'd be interesting to go see him. Same thing with Marilyn Manson and everybody else now. They, everybody goes to certain concerts just because they want to see what might happen. And Robert Johnson, you know, he uh, he did the Jew joints. And it was just an interesting way to do that. But the answer to your question is, yeah, he was terrible. And he got really good very quickly. And Sunhouse said he sold his soul to play like that. And, of course, that song has been, uh, or that, that uh, location, the crossroads in uh, Clarksdale, has been immortalized in song. Uh, Eric Clapton, uh, just a who's who of, you know, great artists have performed oh, yeah. it. Now, you, uh, you told me many years ago that you made the pilgrimage down to the crossroads, and uh, you went with a couple of friends. And the idea, I guess, you were, you were going to collect a little vial of the uh, the dirt from the roads, from the road there, the crossroads. Well, actually, actually, that wasn't even a thought at the time. I'd gone down to visit several of my fraternity brothers from the past, and we got together. Everybody had their wives and their girlfriends. And so Alan, who we stayed at his home in, in Jackson, Tennessee, right outside Memphis, he said, Tomorrow morning we're going to get up and we're going to go to the crossroads in Clarksdale. And, of course, no one knew what that meant. So I had to explain the story as we drove down. And when we got to the location, there was an old cemetery across from it. And the cemetery was built in 1850. So that had to be the cemetery that Robert Johnson learned to play the guitar in at night. So we all went into the cemetery after hearing the story, and we all posed with the crossroads over our shoulder. And we took about, oh, ten shots with a camera. And a lot of this was digital, but none of the pictures came out. Hmm. That was kind of odd. I'll say. And as we were walking through the cemetery, there was this huge black snake that had coiled around one of the tombstones. And one of the guy's wives took a stick, and she started beating that snake with it. Oh, that's smart. No, not in a cemetery. (laughs) But I told her, I said, you know, no, no. I said, you know, you need to stop this. I said, think about snakes. You know, think about the you know Garden of Eden. Think about the Robert Johnson myth. And I said, and we're also here in March and in the south and the Mississippi Delta. You know, snakes... They don't come out this early. You know, I was just trying to give her a bit of focus there. So she threw down the stick. The snake coiled and crawled away into the underbrush. And as we were standing there, you know, uh, we thought, well, let's go tunica and let's see how our black jacket is going to be. So as we were leaving, the guy who stayed at his house, Alan, he says, "Hey, Gary, we got we got to bring a souvenir back from this place." I said, what do you have in mind? He said, let's bring some dirt back. So here we are in the center of the crossroads, digging up dirt and putting it in plastic sandwich bags. Uh, I had some. He had some. And we went to Tunica, came back later that night to his home in uh, Jackson. And the girl who went with me, somehow or another, we had taken her car and left my car. And uh, so we drove down, and as we were driving back, we had to go through Nashville. So I called my attorney, and it just so happens that in town that weekend were two other friends of mine, Jamie Oldacre, who had played drums with Eric Clapton from 461 Ocean Boulevard through the 90s. So if you hear I shot the sheriff, that's him on drums. And then 
somebody we're going to meet in Toronto when I get there, Leo Lyons. Right. He was in Mem- he was in Nashville at the time. Yeah, he was in Nashville at the time. Matter okay. of fact, he actually has an apartment in Nashville, so he stays in Nashville and writes songs and does some production as well as travel the world with his bands. So when we got to the restaurant to eat, I said, "Hey, guess what? I've got in our car." I said, "I've got some dirt." from the crossroads. Well, Jamie Odegger looked at me and said, oh, no, don't bring that mojo in here. <laughs> that was serious. He was really sort of really freaked out about it. Oh, he was being serious. Yeah, dead serious. He wasn't kidding. And uh, he also told me that Eric Clapton had some superstitions that uh, when they performed with Muddy Waters, that one of the road crew picked up Muddy Waters' signature red Fender Telecaster and handed it to Clapton, or was trying to hand it to Clapton, and Clapton's eyes got wide and pushed his hands back. He said, no, too much mojo, and he wouldn't touch it. Wow. So, you know, I knew that Jamie was into that, so I figured that, because he knew Muddy Waters. But when uh, Leo said, oh, I'd love to see it, you know, I'd love to do the tours, and so I knew that that was pretty good. So we never went to see the dirt, but... Somehow or another, I had my uh, cell phone off when I switched cars back in Cookville, and I drove home, and my phone was off, and when I got home, I turned my cell phone on, and I had all these messages. Now, this was what was strange. The first message was from the girl who was uh, beating the snake with the with the uh, tree limb. That's right, in the cemetery across from the Devil's Crossroads. Right. Exactly. And when they got back to Little Rock, Mar- uh, Arkansas, she had been rushed to the hospital with a brain aneurysm. Oh, my Lord. I mean, just within minutes. And my fraternity brother, who uh, we were at his home, Alan, who helped me dig the dirt, uh, 15 minutes after we all left, he was rushed to the hospital with a heart attack. Oh, my. So... An, an aneurysm, a brain aneurysm, and a heart attack, and both survived, both okay? They both survived, thank gosh. But then, <laughs> my other, my phone started ringing, and it was the girl that went with me. And she says, I don't know what's happening. She says, but, but, you know, all these strange things are happening in my house. My motion detectors are going off, but there's nobody here. And, you know, she'd called, the police had come. And then she started really getting scared because when she moved her luggage in, she had forgotten to give me my dirt back, and she had my bag of Crossroads dirt. Aha. Uh-huh. So the next morning, she calls me again from work, and she says, they're still coming to my house. The police are. There's something in my house. And, you know, she thought it was something dark, demonic, and I said, listen, here's what you do. You take that dirt, and you take it to the river, and you empty that dirt into the river. And I said, everything's going to be all right. So I played a little psychology there. So she did, and sure enough, everything was all right. Well, I guess it was a month later, maybe two, that I had a surprise birthday party, and they all came up, and I noticed that Alan, who was in really good health now, had brought me a gift, and it felt sort of oblong and sort of awkward feeling, you know. And when I opened the paper... There was an antique glass bottle with a cork stopper, and when you look into the bottle, there was about eight tablespoons of dirt uh-huh. from the crossroads with a nice little plaque saying the crossroads and what year we went. Now, 
nothing's happened to me. But I have to tell you, I've got that dirt sitting here right now, and I'm looking at it. And if it started to glow or something like that, it would be kind of freaky. I think what balances out the crossroads was the next year I went to Italy, and I went to the Vatican. And <laughs> when I was in the Vatican bookstore, one of the nuns sold me a beautiful cross, a crucifix. And uh, she asked me, she said, would you like the Holy Father to bless this for you? And I said, excuse me? She said, would you like the Holy Father, the Pope, to bless this for you? And I said, well, yeah, sure, you know. So I gave her my crucifix, the name of my hotel, my room number. Went out to dinner, came back, and on my doorknob, there was a plastic bag with my crucifix, with a letter of authenticity where it had been personally blessed by Pope John Paul II. So what I do, I've got the dirt on my left side, and I've got the crucifix on my right side. All right. Well, uh, that's an amazing story. Even better than I remember, uh, Gary. Somehow I told for- you a little bit more about it. I think you did. You were holding back on me the last time. but this, uh, that's- I'm not holding back. <laughs> we're going to have a great time in Toronto. I love Toronto. That's a remarkable story. And, and I'm not kidding. I mean, I opened the show, and I'm ready to, to launch into everything, and my computer goes, uh, just the screen died momentarily, and then I couldn't get back what I had up on the screen. And then we get you on the phone, and then you drop off. <laughs> Are you sure you've got the crucifix right there by the uh, the vial of uh, dirt? No, the crucifix is on the right side next to one side of my computer, and the vial of dirt is on the other. So well, I, I don't know. The uh, the bad mojo, for, for whatever reason, is poking through tonight. Our Gary Patterson is with us. Take a walk on the dark side. And he'll be here in Toronto October the 15th at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium, a Strange Planet production. And you can go to strangeplanet.ca, the live events page. Uh, to uh, order your tickets and to get more information. Uh, again, coming up on a break, but let's get this this conversation started. One of the other amazing um, stories in rock, in terms of, I guess, curses, uh, has to do with Delphi Records. Bob Keane, they used to call him the Oracle of Delphi, which is kind of a, a clever <laughs> a nickname. But Bob Keane, I mean, he, he that Delphi Records uh, kick-started the careers of people like Sam Cooke, although I don't know if it was Delphi Records then. Was it called Keane Records or something? It may have been. I yeah. know that, uh, that I think at one time Sam was with Delphi when it came out okay. a little later. But Delphi but was around that, for a long time. I know that uh, Bob was the one who controlled his uh, recordings. Right. So Sam Cooke, uh, Richie Valens, did he not start at Delphi? Yes. Uh, of course, Bobby Fuller, mm-hmm. I shot the, I, shot, or, um, I Fought the Law and the Law won. We all, right. we all remember that song. Uh, but, I mean, Delphi continued for a long time. I think um, uh, Frank Zappa started on Delphi, if memory serves. He may have. Uh, even Barry White, I think, worked <laughs> at Delphi at one time. But... Uh, the uh, the curse of Delphi Records, or I don't know if it's a curse, or it's just a lot of a string of of, uh, of murder and mayhem, perhaps. I don't know. What, what, let's let's talk about Delphi Records, and uh, where do we start, Gary? Well, let's start with Richie Valens, and uh, when Richie Valens came out and had a number, I think he had maybe three hit songs. Signed on to the Winter Dance Party tour, mm-hmm. he was terrified of flying. And the reason he was terrified of flying is that he'd gone to his grandfather's funeral, and 
while he was gone that day, there were two planes that crashed in the air over his junior high school, and his best friend was killed from the wreckage. And Richie Valens always took his guitar, and he played on his lunch hour or lunch break under this tree, and that's where the the wreckage came down and his friend was killed. So he was convinced that his grandfather's death saved his life, but he was terrified of flying. That's unbelievable when you think about it. I mean, that does not – I mean, a mid-air collision, two planes, and then the wreckage falls and kills somebody on the ground. It's very difficult to believe, isn't it? It is. almost like maybe something supernatural. But I know he didn't like to fly, but for some reason, on February 3rd, 1959, he got on the plane with uh, Richie Valens and the Big Bobber. Or Buddy Roger Holly, Peterson. you mean. Richie, Richie Valens got on the plane with Buddy Holly. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry. Richie Valens on the plane with Buddy Holly Rich, and uh, the Big Bopper and Roger Peterson, the pilot, and they crashed, and that was the day the music died. Now, right. Richie was with Delphi Records. He was only 17 years old when he died. And there was a life insurance policy. Now, a lot of people take a look at what happened on the plane crash, and someone who's going to be talking with us from uh, Toronto will be Peggy Sue Guerin, who Buddy Holly wrote the song for, Peggy Sue. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but she has some definite ideas that she thinks happened. Well, Delphi had enough money that they could sign some other artists and make themselves a little bigger. And the next thing you know, you had uh, Sam Cooke. And Sam Cooke's death has always been questioned, where he goes into this motel and some uh, prostitute steals his clothes. He rushes in, and the the lady in charge of the motel, Miss Franklin, shoots him and beats him with a, a club, and and they find his body and think it could be a mob hit. Well, there's another insurance policy. Another insurance policy uh, that's been taken out by Delphi Records. Right. And All right. Listen, we're going to hold it right there, Gary. We'll come back and continue to talk about. Adelphi Records, Bob Keen, uh, and much more as we go traipsing through the rock and roll graveyard with our Gary Patterson right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Uh, welcome back to the program. Coming up in a couple of weeks, Stanton Friedman, the granddaddy of ufology. Stanton Friedman will be here. Uh, right now, our Gary Patterson stays with us on the line from Knoxville, Tennessee. And right now on the webcam, for those of you joining us on the HOA, there is the box. And there's something inside that box. And my remote viewer, story producer Albert Venzel, is uh, attempting to figure out what's in that box. Before we go back to Gary, quickly, uh, Albert, how are we doing over there? It's probably just another wild guess, but it's something to do with a car or something on wheels or the number three. <laughs> Sorry, my friend. Back to the uh, back to the drawing board you go. All right. Gary Patterson, we were talking about Delphi Records, and we mentioned Richie Valens, and we know what happened to, to poor Richie, February 3rd, 1959, the day the music died. And then Sam Cooke, another Delphi record artist, who was shot and bludgeoned to death at a motel. Nineteen was that 1965? I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right in the right the height of his his career. Did you want to add anything more to, to Sam Cooke before we move on? Well, no, but another insurance policy. Right. So now you have two of your top artists. They've died in well tragic circumstances, and the label 
receives a great deal of money on their policy. Mm-hmm. And then finally we get to Bobby Fuller. Right. And Bobby Fuller was from West Texas, and he sent a demo tape of his band to Buddy Holly's mother and father. Is it the Bobby and, Fuller 4? Yeah, Bobby Fuller 4. Mm-hmm. And Buddy's father sent the tape to Clovis, New Mexico, uh, to Norman Petty, who was Buddy's co-songwriter, his producer and engineer. So they actually signed Bobby Fuller, and he stayed there for a while. But then he leaves Clovis, and he makes his way to Los Angeles, and he has a monster hit called I Thought the Law and the Law One." Now, that song was written by Sonny Curtis, who was one of the crickets, and they really didn't have any luck recording it themselves, but Bobby Fuller made a monster hit out of it. The last song he recorded was a song called Love's Made a Fool of You, which was written by Buddy Holly, which is kind of interesting. Well, one night, about 1 o'clock in the morning, he gets a phone call, and his mother had come in to spend some time with him. This is in L.A.? He's in L.A., and she's from Texas, but she drove in and uh, to be with her boys because his brother, Randy, was the bass player. So he puts the phone down, and he tells his mother, he says, I have to go out for a while, won't be long, and is it all right if I use your car? Because Bobby had just bought a brand-new Corvette, and his mother had an older, I think it was an Oldsmobile, and she said, well, sure. So he takes off. He doesn't come back for a long time. Matter of fact, his mother gets really concerned, calls the manager, and she, she says, oh, Bobby, you know, he'll be back, he'll be back. Well, she hears the car pull into the garage, and... She waits a while, and he doesn't come in. So when she comes out to the garage to see her car, she finds his body lying across the front seat. And he had been badly beaten, bruised. Uh, His left index finger was broken, and he had been doused in gasoline, and there was gasoline in his stomach. Oh, my. So she calls Bob Keene from Delphi. Right. And Bob comes over, and he... He sees the body, talks to the police, and they took the gas can out of the back seat, and they threw it in a dumpster dumpster. They didn't dust it for fingerprints. Didn't dust it for fingerprints. And the coroner's report was that he had committed suicide. Oh, Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a guitar player, you sure don't want to break your left index finger. And you don't douse yourself with gasoline, and you can't possibly drink it because... Once you drink gasoline, you regurgitate it. It's impossible. So Bobby had been murdered, and the gasoline had been poured down his throat. Now, now what, what possible motives are there, Gary? Well, there's a big motive, and it has to do with a girl whose name is Melody, because Bobby was dating this girl who also was dating one of the big crime bosses back in Texas. So a lot of people think that this was a contract, a hit, placed on Bobby Fuller. Now, Randy Fuller, his brother, hired a private detective to find out what happened. According to the story, the detective went back to his office one night, and there were two men in the office, and they shot at him. And the detective quit. Randy said that someone tried to run him off the road. So the family moved back to Texas, and the story of Bobby Fuller, well... The story is that uh, I guess it's death by misadventure. But it just seems like an injustice when you know you can't commit suicide with swallowing gasoline. Again, did Bob Keene and Delphi Records have a, have a big insurance policy out on Bobby Fuller? Yes, they did. There you go. 
Now, here's the other thing. Bob Kane was investigated by the FBI. He said, why would I kill my top three artists? And that was what Bob Kane said, because I worked on a television series of VH1 called VH1 Confidential, and we have an interview with Bob Kane where he says that. All right, listen, got to go, uh, Gary, come back uh, on the other side, and we'll... Uh... We'll talk some more rock and roll myths, legends, and curses. Our Gary Patterson, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, next week on the program, Morgan Reynolds. We'll uh, talk uh, more 9-11. Right now, our Gary Patterson, the Fox Mulder of Rock, stays with us on the line from Knoxville. Again, he'll be coming to town October the 15th for a special live event called Take a Walk on the Dark Side. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the live events page. Now, uh, Albert Vinzel, one last kick at the can, my remote viewing friend. What's in the box? You may have got me on this one. See, what what happens is when your unconscious finds it boring, it just takes off, and you need to tap in your like your answers in the unconscious. And then part that creeps people out is that like you see future disasters and stuff like that. So then they they never touch it again because it's like not for them. But I'm just gonna take the last wild guess and say brick, and I get that from Major Paul Smith because he would always throw that into his session. A brick. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we just before we do that now, because you've got the the vial of dirt from the crossroads, and you've got a a crucifix from the Vatican, blessed by the Holy Father, John Paul II. Uh, Gary Patterson, what's in the box? You're asking me. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you've got your mojo working. It's not dirt, is it? <laughs> it's not. It's not dirt. Open up the box there, uh, Albert. All right, and there we have it. Are you pointing the camera at it? Okay. It's a pair. It's a pair. There you go. All right, better luck next time, Albert. Thanks for playing along. All right, uh, Gary, we were talking about Delphi Records and uh, uh, Bobby Fuller, Sam Cooke, and um, uh, the, the first one was... Um, Richie Valens. Richie Valens. All, the three top-grossing artists on Delphi all died horrible, violent deaths. And... Um, so Bob Keane was interviewed by the FBI in connection with all three deaths? Yes, yeah, because there was a little concern he was killing his artists and collecting the, the insurance policies. Right, right. Now, Delphi yeah. is now defunct, but it had a pretty good run. No, he did. Yeah. But, you know, this is not an old thought. I mean, we go back to, uh, well, we can go back to the late, great Johnny Ace. Ah, Yes who was the first actual fatality when you're going to get to early rock and roll. I mean, his name was Johnny Alexander, but he called himself Johnny Ace because his dad was a minister, and his father did not want his son playing secular music, which is exactly how Sam Cooke, you know, he was a gospel singer at first, and he went into secular music. So when Johnny Ace would carry his pistol with him and drink a little too much, and he was at a show, I think it was in Houston, with Big Mama Thornton, and he was taking his gun and putting it at his girlfriend's head and pulling the trigger, and it was clicking, a revolver, and he turned it to his girlfriend's friend and pulled the trigger, and it didn't go off, and Big Mama Thornton grabbed the gun from him, and then he grabbed it back and said, it's not loaded, and pointed it at his head, pulled the trigger, and booked his ticket to rock and roll heaven. There you go. 
And uh, But his label came out with a thing called The Late Great Johnny Ace, and Paul Simon had a song about it. That's right. Because it's funny. Uh, one of the things that's funny is that when someone dies, you can go to any grocery store and you can find all the stuff you can pick up because death is big money. And Jimi Hendrix once said, it's funny how people love the dead. Once you're dead, you're made for life. Well, the you would be whoever owns the rights to your your work. They're made for life. That's right. Or they have a, a life insurance policy uh, on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, now let's just give people a, a little bit of a, a free view of what you're going to be talking about on October the 15th here in Toronto. Okay, great. We're going to go back probably in the beginning, and we're going to take a look at a lot of the things we talked about with Delphi. And we're going to take a look at how the United States government thought rock and roll was uh, an American. And when we talk about the day the music died, which is in 1959, it was almost the year the music died because Elvis Presley had been in the Army for a couple of years, and he was out of his career. And when he comes back, he's uh, playing Dean Martin roles in movies. And the rawness of Elvis Presley was over, okay? Alan Freed, the DJ who created the term rock and roll, was uh, destroyed by the payola scandals, which was, well, where record labels would pay disc jockeys to play popular music and that they would get more airplay. So there was money that was exchanged. It destroyed him. And then you had Chuck Berry, who was in prison for violation of the Mann Act, where he brought this underage girl to work in a casino. And then you had Jerry Lee Lewis, who had married his 13-year-old cousin and destroyed his career. And when you take a look at how they all fell apart, Rock and roll, Danny, well, Danny the Jr. said rock and roll is here to stay, but, you know, it almost died. Because then you had a lot of, well, I don't want to call it no talent, but you had the Fabians and the Bobby Riddells and the uh, Tommy Sands. And, you know, you had these people come out, Frankie Avalon, and they were doing songs. And, right. And it was like young Dean Martins. But right. Then, you also had the birth of that sort of that the surf music before the Beach Boys. You had uh, the uh, the Safaris, and you had mm-hmm. was it the Delrays? Dale. Yeah. And uh, Maserlou. You had surf music, which right. was you know that wasn't bad. And then the Beach Boys, what they were able to do was take surf music, Chuck Berry, and doo wop, and put it together in something new. Right. But then when the Beatles landed in 64, it went back to the rawness of rock and roll when the Stones hit, too. So the British invasion sort of turned it full circle. And you're going to find out, you know, there's a number of mysterious deaths uh, of influential artists, too, especially in the 60s when we get to the Monterey and we get to some of the, the counterculture as it happened. And, of course, Leo Lyons is going to talk to us about performing at Woodstock, because the first time I saw the movie Woodstock, I remember 10 years after. They they stole the show in in many ways. They stole the show, didn't they? They did. And Leo had his wonderful red handlebar mustache, and he was just all over the stage playing bass. And I've known him for several years, and he can tell us what it was like at Woodstock. And I think he rode in on the helicopter with Jimi Hendrix and was one of the last people to actually jam with Hendrix before Hendrix died. So, you know, we have these stories, and plus Leo's a psychic. I mean, this guy goes to the London Academy of Psychic Studies and takes the courses, and he had to walk cold into an audience and start saying, all right, there's someone whose name is George. (laughs) Right, right. Raise your hand. So he did that. So 
And he also had a terrifying experiences with Ouija boards. Aha. Uh-huh. So um, now doesn't that sound interesting? I'll say. Uh, I just I I spoke briefly with uh, Leo just the other day. Uh, we were just sort of testing the Skype and so forth because he's in London right now. Right. And uh, so I I saw Leo. Looks great. Still, he told me that uh, he is still performing live between seventy and one hundred shows a year. That's pretty grueling for a man who's uh, 70 years old. It is. But I tell you what, he is a fabulous bass player. Well, he loves it. He loves to play live. He does. I think that's what... I, you got to do what you what you love. I mean, that's that's what keeps you going. Well, that's the only reason he does it. I mean, he certainly doesn't need the money, and he just he does it for the love of it. So, yeah. Leo, we're looking forward to having Leo Lyons joining us uh, by Skype from London. You mentioned Peggy Sue Guerin, who has some amazing stories about, um, well... In many ways, I mean, she was on the program with you several months ago, and do you think that she was, uh, he, she and Buddy were were really like true loves? I know they were best friends from high school, and they were each married to somebody else. But I got the, the sense from from Peggy Sue that that Buddy was her first love, and and uh, and he loved her deeply as well. I think it happened when they went on the double honeymoon. Ah, okay. But we'll talk about that when right. we get there, too. Do you know that she actually has had a seance and tells me that she is convinced that she has communicated with Buddy Holly now? Well, we'll uh, we'll get you to ask her that on the 15th. <laughs> and then we should also mention one more uh, uh, special appearance, and this will be Bill Harry, who will join us live from Liverpool. And Bill, uh, now, he was he at the London School of Arts? with? He where, was. Was it with John Lennon at the London School of Arts? It was with John Lennon. He was John Lennon's lifelong friend from the beginning, before there was ever a Beatles, all the way up to his death. And he also was a very good friend with Stuart Sutcliffe. Mm -hmm. So he actually had a little bit in how he pushed that together and how they were going to change the world. Uh, Bill with his writing. John with his songs, and Stu with his art. And he knew Paul McCartney as well, did he not? Oh, yeah, he and Paul are good friends. I right. mean, Ringo also, because mm. he created Mercy Beat Magazine. That's right. Which was the magazine of the British invasion. Legendary, legendary. Legendary. And he wrote all of the great, all those great Beatle encyclopedias that were authorized by the Beatles. He wrote those as well. Oh, he did. I mean, Bill is probably the most prolific Beatle author anywhere. And he has some interesting ideas. All right, so uh, you're going to be giving your live presentation. You'll be talking about all of these wonderful, strange uh, tales of weirdness and coincidences and legends and curses surrounding some of our popular, our, our favorite rock icons. And then you'll sort of weave in these uh, these interviews on Skype with, again, the likes of Peggy Sue Guerin, Bill Harry, and Leo Lyons. It's going to make for a, a, an interesting uh, program, and we're looking forward to it, Gary. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I've got a lot of friends in Toronto, and I had a great time last time I was there. I think it was it last year or the year before? Uh, I think that was, uh, yeah, last year, last summer you were here. Yeah, okay, with George and Giorgio and uh, Peter Davenport. That's right, that's right. All right, so are you going to bring the uh, the dirt from the crossroads with you? I don't know. You think I can get it through customs? (laughs) That won't be a problem. The question is, do you want to fly with that on your person? (laughs) You may want to test it and see what it is. I mean, I don't want to get busted. 
All right. Let's uh, just once again remind people, uh, our Gary Patterson, Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Saturday, October the 15th at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium right here in Toronto. And uh, that's from 4 to 8 p.m. going to be a great show, great stories, stories that you've never heard before, or these are rarely or never before heard stories. And uh, Gary's got them all. And uh, for more information and to purchase tickets, go to the live events page at strangeplanet.ca. Gary, can't wait, my friend. I can't either. It's always good to see you and spend time with you, Richard. And I'm looking forward to seeing everyone in Toronto. All right. Gary Patterson. There he goes. All right. We, uh, well, we kicked off our What's in the Box segment tonight with uh, young Albert Vinzel and... Uh, just to remind people, what was in the box, Albert? You take a bite out of it, like an apple. It's food, a pear. A pear. And <laughs> uh, when when you show it, then it's like, yeah, that was on the tip of my tongue. It was in the back of my mind, but I didn't say it. The, the trick is not to hold back. Whatever you see, just write it down. That's right, because you're you're over you're, you you overanalyze, right? You're allowing your intellectual mind to get in the way. Yeah. Like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't. Well, that's all right. We'll try it again uh, next week, perhaps. What's in the box? Albert Vinzel. Uh, we mentioned coming up in the program in the, uh, in the next couple of weeks, Stanton Friedman will be with us. He's got a brand new book out along with Kathleen Martin. And uh, also Morgan Reynolds will be with us next week. And Ali Siadatan, our good friend Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions, he has a brand new documentary out. It's called Goliath Rising. All right. My website, strangeplanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. And as always, follow the truth.